Hey, podcast friends. If you love our podcast and want to help support us to continue making cool shit, consider joining our Patreon community. Get early access to each episode, a monthly hangout on Zoom, custom answers to your questions in exclusive Patreon videos, and much, much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash conversations with creators to become a patron today. Your support means the world to us. Now on to the episode. The first comedian we had lined up for night one was Ron Funches, who at this point is a huge comedy star. So we got him booked, we get everything finalized. I announce him, we start selling tickets with a big picture of Ron Funches on the poster. <laughs> Within 24 hours, we get noticed that he has to drop off the show because he took a movie role. Uh, wah, wah, wah. He's like, okay, cool. I just made a call. I've got you. I've got Nikki Glazer. Cool. I redo the poster. I put up Nikki Glazer. We start selling tickets. Within 24 hours, we get another call because she had her agent got her booked at Comedy Works. And so she had to drop off. So then we went to our third choice. And, you know, so it was just a roller coaster. Bobcat Goldthway goes over to Dak Draper and gives him the worst people's <laughs> elbow you could possibly imagine. And and I'm just lying there watching this go down. But then I hear Bobcat Goldthwait say, are you okay? To Dak Draper. And I lost it because Dak Draper is like six foot two, 250, just made out of muscle. Like you could have put Bobcat Goldthwait in a cannon and shot him like horrible style. Effie's Big Gay Brunch, which is an all queer wrestling show. And it sells out and it's yeah, fantastic. And, and that's what wrestling is now. It's it's an inclusive party for everyone. Wrestling is for everyone. Hey, quick question before we get started. Would you like to win a free piece of clothing from Snowman Films and a 30-minute chat about your creative journey with me? I know that I would love to connect with you. And I know that I would have loved to talk with somebody who had experienced a similar path when I was getting started. So let's make it happen. Here's what you need to do. Subscribe to the Conversations with Creators podcast, rate and review and share it in just five easy steps. First, write a review on your preferred podcasting platform and rate it. Five stars for good karma. Then, screenshot your review and share it on social media, tagging Snowman Films. Each month, I'll select one random winner to receive a free piece of clothing from our store and a 30-minute virtual coaching call with me. Again, subscribe, write a review, rate the show, screenshot that review, share it on social media tagging Snowman Films, and get entered into a drawing for that one-on-one virtual session with me and some free swag. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave me a review. I really appreciate you, and I'm excited to see you in our one-on-one virtual call soon. Now, let's dive into today's episode. So the big question is this, how are creators like us who aren't built for the nine to five, for the people who put their passion for them being comfortable. How do we turn that passion into a living that pays the bills and a life that we love? That is the question. This podcast will give you the answers. My name is Noah Mittman and welcome to Conversations with Creators. I'm just going to jump right into it because you know why the fuck not? Sure. I mean, hey, who's going to stop you? Nobody. Nobody. Many people should. Nobody will. I know the feeling. (laughs) Right. Like who's allowing this? <laughs> nobody, nobody. That's why. That's why we're here. I just said let's go, and nobody said don't do that. So here we are. 
So I'm not sure if that's encouraging or it's just like, let's watch this idiot Wiley Coyote off of this clip this time. I mean, both. Bobby. <laughs> we'll see what the downloads stay. Good call. Yeah. <laughs> so welcome back to Conversations with Creators. My name is Noah Mitman. I am your dedicated host. And my guest today is Nick Gossert, a comedian, a referee, a promoter, a producer. You do a whole lot of stuff on Lucha Libre and laughs. But I knew. It really was like listening, like looking at my resume where it's like the old stuff first and it builds up to the new stuff. Yeah. Thanks for having me. As stated, I am Nick Gossert and I am here and we're going to talk about things. <laughs> that things will be talked about. This is a fact. <laughs> so, all right. So going, in fact, not even starting old stuff. Let's go new stuff first because you are 10 years, yeah, into Lucha Libre and Laughs. Yeah, coming up this weekend is our 10-year anniversary, so go big. I went with a doing a two-night super show. So far, it's going swimmingly, so we should have a nice big crowd watching a crazy-as-heck show. Everything should work out. So for for anybody that doesn't know, for any of the millions of people that don't know i'm kidding what lucha libre and laughs is can give us a little a little give us give us 10 years of history no give us a little backstory on, on what this thing is well lucha libre and laughs is a variety show mixing stand-up comedy and pro wrestling which sounds odd until you experience it it really is the peanut butter and jelly of entertainment it's the perfect match energy wise and fun wise so we bring together amazing pro wrestling matches and then between them, we have great stand-up comedians doing their sets. And throughout the course of the night, we have very funny people doing comedy commentary live for the audience for the pro wrestling. And we've been doing that since 2013. And here we are with me now aging terribly because of it. You do have some some gray in the beard. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at this. I am only 22 years old. And this is one of <laughs> with wears you down like nothing. You don't look a day over 18. Just legal. <laughs> I've seen your search history, so. <laughs> How did you get... So, this is your baby, right? This is your brainchild? Correct. Yeah, this was my terrible idea. So, uh, it's, it's, I'm the only one that can be blamed for this. I guess Denver as a whole can be blamed for allowing me to do this with increasing success for a decade. There's a lot of blame to go around. So what, how did you, like, what, what originally, like, in your mind, you put together wrestling and comedy goes together? What, how did that, have, how did that connection happen? Well, I, I did do comedy for a long time. I, and as a long, lifelong wrestling fan, I mean, you can't help but, you know, despite the, the storytelling, the action, the excitement, the mythology, the pathos, the ups, the downs. There is a serious absurdity when you strip pro wrestling down to its basics, where you can look at the you know battle of gods and monsters in front of thousands of people, but you can also boil it down to a couple of friends pretending to fight in their underwear. So there is a baseline absurdity to wrestling, no matter how seriously you take it. I really love it like both of those are true. Yeah, exactly. It's It, it is... <laughs> The highest form of storytelling as far as an American art form is concerned, as yeah. far as I'm concerned, you are presenting 
a grandiose superhero soap opera on the stage, live, no rehearsals, no second take. And it's magical, but it's also ridiculous. And, you know, that that's true for many things that we love as a culture and as people. And I want to say this was about 11 years ago. My friends Sam and Nathan, Nathan Lund, Sam Talent, who will be doing commentary on the show. Are they they're regulars on it, yeah? Yeah, they're both a little too successful and busy to be on every show, but they try to make them whenever they can. And they, along with a couple other people, did a festival called Too Much Funstable. And at that time, I'd been quasi-attached to the local wrestling scene. I started refereeing for some Lucha shows, and they asked if I could get some wrestling involved in one of the one of the shows. It was at Castleman's, a venue that once upon a time was here at Denver. I, dude, I used to shoot videos for Castleman's. Okay. Yeah. I used to, I used to get paid. Are you ready? Are you ready? I used to get paid. Hey, because you know me. I used to get paid to break dance in a shiny silver suit at Castleman's, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever been paid to do. But we had fun. That's, that is a silly goose way to make a buck, but I've heard worse. <laughs> yeah. So we, so the, the final night of the festival was there. And they asked if we could get some wrestling, so we brought in the ring, set it up, had a couple of just wild and crazy lucha matches, yeah. and then there was a band played, and then there was comedians. I remember it was Andrew Orbital and a pre-fame Ron Funches, and it was a fun time. But like the combination, it just the 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 you know in, in cooking terms, the the types of spicing seemed there just needed some adjustment, and the yeah. idea just stuck in the back of my brain for quite some time. The best that listen, the best ideas always do. It's always like you get it and then you're still like like two or three years later, you're like this is still there. There's something to this. Yeah. It's like you're just kind of waiting for either A, you know, that final idea adjustment yeah. or just the courage to, you know, start shooting and fix it in post, if you will. Yeah. And yeah, that's kind of what this was. It kind of simmered in my brain for a number of months. And then I remember a bunch of us were sitting around, we were watching WrestleMania in 2013, and I told everybody in the room, hey, I've got this idea. And everybody's response was, can I be on this show? So I knew that was... Yeah. I knew that, that we had something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... For what, like, you, you sold the room originally, which is all you need to sell, because then you know you can sell the venue. Exactly, yeah. uh, which sometimes is not an easy thing, particularly. No, I, it's maybe the hardest thing. Yeah, especially in a town like Denver, where yeah. most of the venues that are bigger than a broom closet are controlled by evil booking corporations that don't want anything to do with local entertainment. Slash so, the mafia, right? It might as well be. I mean, yeah. it's, it's like you have the big companies that control the bigger venues, control the bookings. And if you go to them and say, hey, I'm, I've am i got an idea. I think it'll make everybody some money. And they don't eat, like, they're making cash hand over fist with yeah. the contract that they have. So they don't, they don't care about local art. Fortunately, I bubble butted my way into a venue that does, which is the Oriental. Listen, if you can't get in, just twerk your way in. Exactly. Yeah. But I, you know, I fortunately, I, like, one of the first places I looked at was the Oriental Theater. Yeah. And, the, and they liked the idea. I don't think they understood the idea, but I don't think anybody understood the idea, even me. So I, I don't even fully listen. I, I got it. 
And this is where I'm a terrible person. Like I've known about this for 10 years and I still have yet to get there. And I want to so bad. I'm going to pitch it for my next date night with the wife. Be like, yo, we're going to go do some ridiculous shit and it's going to be great. And what's strange is you would not believe how many times, because you know, like these big wrestling stars come and they're used to a wrestling audience. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's like couples on date nights. <laughs> or like a bunch of women like dressed up nice, having a girl's night out and going to Lucha Libre and laughs. Like there's no single 30 year olds here. What are we doing? <laughs> but it's it's something where they come to just party and have fun because people at first will be like, oh, wrestling. But then, you know, you can't really sell 500 tickets with just wrestling in this town. Yeah. It has to be the party show. It has to be nightlife. And we were fortunate enough to kind of transcend to being nightlife. So it's just it's kind of the weird party freak show where you come and get drunk and yell at people that are much bigger than you. You know, yeah, that's the one place you can. What's the, what's the, what's the like spread on the, the types of people? Like, what, what's your audience range from? Well, I mean, it's like by and large, it is kind of the young hip audience. You'll get about twenty to thirty percent that are the wrestling fans, and everybody yeah. else is just either newcomers because they heard about what a wild or something is, or it's people who. You know, or just they've been there. They know it's a crazy way to spend a Friday night. Yes. My or as my friend Effie, who's a you know famous pro wrestler, he'll be there this weekend. Said it's like twenty five percent wrestling fans and just seventy five percent hot young people. <laughs> and I, like, and it's just it's like I'm. As, if that doesn't describe Denver, I don't know what. Does. Yeah, and I'm as confused as anyone by how that happened. <laughs> uh, because listen, you got the hot young people audience. You're winning. Exactly. <laughs> Who are who are like the biggest names that have blown up that have been that have been on the show? Well, I mean, actually, the Nikki Glaser story is mild. Yeah, there. tell me. All, I want all the Nikki Glaser. Stories. It is an insight into how booking comedy can be. Because yeah, yeah. For our five year anniversary, we were doing our first attempt at a weekend show, doing two nights. It had a lot of obstacles, and the biggest one is the first comedian we had lined up for night one was Ron Funches, who at this point is a huge comedy star. So we get him booked, we get everything finalized. I announce him, we start selling tickets with a big picture of Ron Funches on the poster. <laughs> Within 24 hours, we get noticed that he has to drop off the show because he took a movie role. Uh, wah, wah, wah. So the Coverdale with the Swan, he's like, okay, cool. I just made a call. I've got you. I've got Nikki Glazer. Cool. I read you the poster. I put up Nikki Glazer. We start selling tickets. Within 24 hours, we get another call. Because she had her agent got her booked at Comedy Works. Yeah. Comedy Works, like a lot of bigger comedy clubs do in many cities, they have a non-compete clause on the contracts going either way, both before and after, which, you know, is understandable. But somehow her manager or agent didn't remember that or looked at the calendar wrong. And so she had to drop off. So then we went to our third choice. And, you know, so it was just a roller coaster start and stops with a huge star to a big star, two decent stars. And you're just not sleeping and losing your mind and celebrating and then depressed and then celebrating and then depressed. Yeah, so it was just like, (laughs) all right, we have the, you know, this huge star. We don't, you know, refund request, refund request, refund request. I get it. So, yeah. So How well did that show end up selling at the end of it? Not well. Because <laughs> it was a first attempt at doing two nights. You know, we had Todd Glass on night one as the comedian. Brooke That's Wheaton. solid. 
Yeah, and Brooks Whelan from Saturday Night Live. On- yeah. So okay, you yeah you've had some you've had some names on it. Yeah, we, for comedy, I usually don't book big names because it doesn't make a lot of sense to fly in and pay a big star a lot of money for what essentially is like a ten minute spot because we're not. Yeah, it's fair. It's not a like a real comedy show where the headliner is going to do thirty or plus. It's you know ten minutes and then they join the commentary team to do the commentary spot. So a lot of the bigger names lay like, outside of that weekend, which was a co-promo with some other another company. It just it just it was awkward. Anything I t- I always find that anything where I'm not a hundred percent, both hands on the wheel, nobody else trying to help drive. That's the way it always works best for me. The only time it really worked out in it was a it was at a festival in Omaha, and we get there and like many comedy festivals, people had to leave early or was this or was that and things didn't work out. Yeah. But in the end, we ended up with a heck of a lineup. We had Timmy Williams from Whitest Kids You Know, and as a feature on the show. Oh my God, I love them. Yeah, and the headline early early YouTube. Yeah. And he was, and he's a hilarious standup yeah, guy. And he was on there, and we ended up by pure accident having Bobcat Goldthwait as our headliner, which was absolutely wild yeah. in in every sense of the word. I mean, you know, huge fan going back to being a kid watching, uh, you know, Police Academy all the way up through loving the movies he directs from. He's a heavyweight. Yeah, it's he's 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 brilliant, and. It also, he led to one of the hardest times I've ever had keeping a straight face because we decided to do this goofy gimmick finish on the match. It was Eugene, a former WWE guy versus this guy who's now Dak Draper in NWA. And the finish was I was refereeing and they come in and I get hit and then I get hit again and I get knocked out and I'm just lying there dead. Sam turns around, Eugene gives him a, you know, gives him a stunner, covers it, but there's no referee. So, so, so Bobcat dives in and Bobcat does the, you know, counts at one, two, and he holds up Eugene's arm and so is celebrating. But then I hear Eugene go, go drop an elbow on him. (laughs) So Bobcat Goldthway goes over to Dak Draper and gives him the worst people's elbow (laughs) you could possibly imagine. And and I'm just lying there watching this go down. But then I hear Bobcat Goldthwait say, are you okay? To Dak Draper. And I lost it because Dak Draper is like six foot two, 250, just made out of muscle. Like you could have put Bobcat Goldthwait in a cannon and shot him like a couple style. How, how, much, how much does Bobcat Goldthwait weigh comparatively? Okay. He's like, a, at this point, he's like a 60-year-old comic who looks like he weighs like 160 pounds. <laughs> he goes, are you okay? So, yeah, just like, he was so concerned. He's like, are you okay? And I'm supposed to be unconscious. Barely, so I'm corpsing like nobody's business. I had to like turn into the middle of the room <laughs> and cover it up. And I'm nice right? weary-eyed because I'm, I'm like, like my eyes are bugging. I will probably look like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Total Recall when he was sucked out into the vacuum of Mars. Just <laughs> eyes bugging out, looking like a monster. And I'm just curled up in a ball because I'm trying not to let everybody see that I'm laughing hysterically over Bobcat Goldthwait asking if he hurt a giant wrestler. <laughs> the answer should have been like, yeah, it actually is a little, it's a little bruised. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that was probably like the biggest night of like comedy stars that we've had on the show. That's amazing. Oh my God. And I mean, it makes sense that with that stacked lineup, you're bent over. You're you're on the you're both on the ground and in the fetal position laughing, trying not to show it. Yeah, it was it was one of the hardest experiences of my life as far like I'm surprised I didn't just like loudly fart or something, like trying to hold <laughs> that in. <laughs> I'm sure that's happened though. Oh, how could it not? <laughs> so, you refereeing these shows, I'm sure, is an absolutely insane, insane position. How does the comedy work into your refereeing? And like, is there any effect on the on how the matches get refereed, or is it is like is the refereeing more important, or is the comedy more important for you? Well, like I haven't because you know, I mean I stopped refereeing like a number of years ago just because. It was like the show became too big. Okay. The show became too big for me to be able to just lose myself and enjoy and enjoy refereeing. Because like for a long time, I've like I was refereeing other shows. Sometimes being the only referee on a show and like refing like seven straight matches and nearly dying of dehydration and then getting yelled at by a former WWE star. But that's a different story. And but it's the but yeah, but it's something where I the the show just started becoming too big because I'd have. You know, it used to be like, oh, it was all locals. Then it was locals with one guy, one star I flew in, then two. And now it's like half the show is TV stars. And you just can't, I can't be in the ring and be handling all of that. That's just too much of a split focus. But when I was refereeing, you know, it just depends on what you, what the match called for. I mean, it's very much an acting role because sometimes you'd be doing a silly goose comedy match. Like there was this Japanese wrestler, Kikutaro, that I would book a lot. And he would do spots like he runs to attack the wrestler that he's wrestling and the clotheslines catch arms and they link and they do a dozido. And then he goes flying back towards me and he accidentally catches my arm and we do a dozido. And then he goes sailing back that way and gets clotheslined. So, you know, you become the prop that. I was going to say, you're like an athlete at this point. Oh, yeah. No, you, it's a, everything's very physical in wrestling, even being. Yeah. And the best way to put it is the referee, if you put it into like filmmaking or acting terms, I am a prop in the, the referee is a prop in the hand of the, the wrestlers, because it, you have, you have to meet the requirements of what you're doing, because sometimes it's a very serious match and you have to be a very serious person or you, it's being portrayed as like a legitimate grappling thing. So you have to act like a, you know, you're, you're refereeing a, you know, a legitimate competition. And then sometimes while there's stand up happening. Yeah, well it's yeah, well the stand up you know, the, the yeah, the commentating. With the commentary going. <laughs> so it just really just depends on on what's happening. It's like yeah. the wildest game of improv half the time because you know, like a lot of it is it is improvised on the fly based on how the crowd's reaction or ideas that are had mid mid go. Yeah. So yeah, so it's it's trying to figure out the mood of what's happening, follow the action, pick up on cues, make sure people are okay, not laugh at the commentary, all the while, you know, trying to entertain, you know, 600 people who are looking on. That is wild. That is, yeah. No wonder you, so this man has trans, by the way, I've known you for, since film school, so... Many, many years. I, I, let's, I mean, more than 10 years, for sure. No. Yeah, no like, About that. Yeah, yeah but yeah, we, 
yeah, we're both aging terribly. We we acknowledge. A hundred percent. Although I will say, you're way more in shape than you were in film school. I think because of that, maybe the refereeing and being in with the physical stuff. You're looking great, dude. You're looking great. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I, like I, that was definitely a post-COVID turn for me because I was an athlete. I used to fight, you know, back in, you know back in the day. And then apparently you can you can train for just about anything except for bad genetics for your joints. So arthritis runs pretty deep into my family. So my hips started going to crap. And then you just go, well, the hell with everything. You put on some pounds. You don't really care. And then. I was doing yoga, just it ended up breaking up the scar tissue enough. DDP yoga, I highly recommend it for physical therapy. Yeah. And, but I was still like, I was living a very unhealthy lifestyle when you know, I was working at the theater. And, you know, cause it's like you work in entertainment, it's very easy to go like, cool, well, it's the end of the night. Let's have some drinks at 1 a.m. You know what? Let's stop at that 24 hour diner because I'm going to eat a waffle and huevos rancheros at 3 a.m. You know, things that are just not ideal for It does health. sound fantastic, though. Oh, it does, but it's not good for your metabolism. And then you wake up hungover and you just want to park a burrito. <laughs> and I'm kind of during COVID. Yeah, then, yeah, exactly. So during COVID, it was like a really great way to kind of break the, the that cycle. Yeah. It, but, yeah, how much, I'm assuming COVID stopped you cold for a bit? Oh, and like across the board, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a manager at a concert venue. <laughs> I... Do you know if I run live shows? Oh, jeez! And in fact, I the first one of the first shows to be canceled, the very first show to be canceled was my show. No shit. It was, yeah, it was you know in March 2020, I had the the I had the, I had the place sold out. It was I sold out three days before the show. Oh my god! Like cool. This is just everything's going fine. And like open, it was kind of like looking over everybody's shoulder, but it was just kind of. No, I remember. Yeah, it was like we were all kind of like, well, maybe it's this, maybe it'll just go away. Nobody knows. And then April is when my world went to shit. March, March was still like, I might get out of this. Yeah, and I get a call from I, I. So I wake up the morning of the show. Calls like from the theater, from the city. Pretty much what they said was, you can have two hundred people in the theater, not five hundred and fifty. Eh. Well, th- that's a problem when in order to break even, you have to sell three hundred tickets. Yeah. So. It was actually cheaper, you know, it also, I think, more fair just across the board just to cancel. Because also, how do you pick which 200 get to come see it? <laughs> Plus, everybody's panicking. It's just a whole thing. So, oh, they're going to be happy there. Yeah, so my show, my show was canceled. Fortunately, nobody had gotten to the airport before I was able to get a hold of them. So, they yeah. flying That's out. That's good. Yeah, and... But it was just like all the money I spent on advertising, gone. All my hotels and flights were turned into credits for the most part. Southwest and Delta, of course, took care of people a lot better than other airlines. But it dug me in a hole pretty, yeah. pretty deep. So, yeah, that was a that, that was a that was a fun time. And it when kind of, it, uh, when did it come back for you? It was the summer of 2021. Because no, that's pretty quick. Yeah, it was well because I mean, no, you know, relatively, it's, it's still yeah, a fucking and, year. But. Yeah, and it was under very specific circumstances where yeah. we could do shows, but you had to, you know, how it would be like you could only have fifty people or seventy-five people or a hundred people, and so right. and they would have to stay in their seats and they would have to wear a mask. Yeah, spread out, masked up, all the stuff. Yeah, so fortunately, you know, I was able to put together, you know, everybody just wanted to get back to wrestling, even if it was like, hey, guys, the money is garbage, but I'm just giving you know, It's just, I mean, off. it's anything, right? Like, at that point, like, I, 
I started and I'm still, it's funny. I say I started, but even on this Saturday, I'm taking, I, I back to like PA gigs. Cause I didn't, I didn't know that like, so like everything disappeared for me, right? Like production company wise gone. And then it was summer of 2022 actually. Cause I just f- didn't think anything was happening. And I was like, Oh my God, stuff's in production again. Holy shit. But because I'd taken so long on building the snowman brand and doing like the business stuff, going back to the commercial world or, you know, any higher level stuff, I'd been kind of out of the game for a little bit. So I'm like, I was like back to PA level for a bit and I still am occasionally. And it's like, that was, it was kind of a bit on the, a hit on the ego, but it was also like, I'm still like, there's work. This is great. Like we're doing stuff again. (laughs) Yeah. And, and like for us, it's like, you know, because, you know, we, we were just barely able to get like a show going. Yeah. At 100 people, I was able to like, OK, I'm going to like call in some favors and get like cool surprises on the shows, which is now my favorite thing to do, period. But yeah, yes. it was. Yeah. But just, like, we had to cancel so many things. I had to cancel so many plans. I, I also used to run another show for in 29 for through 2019 in the first month of 2020. I ran an all women's promotion called Respect. And, you know, we had to cancel our February, or our April show. We had a show scheduled for early April and that show just never made it, never came back. Unfortunately, we did a, we did a one-off in like when, when we were first able to start running shows again, but you know, just, it was just too difficult to try to relaunch two brands when, uh, when everything else just be kicked out from under your knee. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe new for 2024. Who knows? It's like at this point, Triple L has gotten too big for me to split. It's kind of like the referee thing where it's like, oh, I can't look on a show that's too big. Well, now Triple L is even bigger. So just trying to even like split my brain resources between running Triple L and reading a book or playing video games is now like almost (laughs) impossible. It's listen, you got to have the life balance, man. And 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 to quote to quote Ron from Parks and Rec. You got a whole ass one thing, not not partial ass multiple things. Exactly. I need to listen to that advice myself, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. So you know, like I said, it's just, it's one of those things where it's obviously I'm not sad about it, but yeah, triple yeah. it's become such a big show. It's now internationally known where we're getting like you know, we get Japanese talents. You know, like in October we have this guy Minoru Suzuki who from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Who's it's it, like if you imagine like. You know, if you had like Hulk Hogan on a yeah. show, like that's it. That's he's the, he's the Japanese Hulk Hogan. He was just a huge star. Yeah. And, at our, and then at our last show, we had Maki Ito, the cutest adorable from Tokyo Joshi Princess Wrestling. So it's very funny to think about how things once upon a time were, where I'm like trying to get just enough locals to be on a show that look kind of dumb, to now where I'm you know working agreements with TV companies in Japan. So yeah, it becomes a little more time, time, a little more time consuming these days. How does that work with, cause I know you film and edit everything. How is it, where are you posting stuff? Is it, is there any live stream at all? Like how does, how does the media side work? We're not doing live stream and a big part of that is just Wi-Fi in the theater is very difficult. Yeah. I could, I can make it, I could boost it and make it work. But the other big issue it is split camera. Cause I, because we put the ring on the stage, which is yeah, it's more elevated, not in the yeah, not down. Yeah, which makes it Actually. real easy. You have a 
you know, hard cam from the balcony for the wide shot. You have a medium shot hard cam from the production booth and you have a handheld on one side, possibly both. Yeah. And you can get a, an amazing amount of coverage, but you would need somebody who's very adept at sports direction to sit there and hit the switches. Right. Especially, and then you also need to figure out a way to get the handheld because when they go and fight into the crowd, they go down into the dance floor and they're brawling through there. Oh, yeah. Able to still get the handheld, getting a signal. hard cams aren't getting that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there's a lot of technical challenges there that I'm sure there's ways to do it. I just haven't done it. So yeah. for the long, and then for a while, I was planning on doing kind of a Patreon where a lot of the shows would be behind a bit of a paywall. But at a certain point, I just realized, man, I again, I'm I only have so much energy project wise and i'm kind of at the end of my road because i'm running an enormous show i am doing a lot i'm doing the, the audio and video i also do a wrestling history podcast so you know my and my, a my, podcast on top of it of course yeah, kind of, so, well, listen hey everybody listen we all gotta have the podcast on top of the other shit yeah it's, <laughs> well, well what else is a is a is a is a, is a, is a guy to do in the of course 2023 <laughs> so yeah so now what i've been doing is i i all the vault stuff that i was planning on putting behind a paywall i just started rolling them out on youtube as a lover of cheesy horror type exploitation yeah. it's kind of the double feature of doom and try to roll it out as a double feature like it's uh it works perfectly for the brand man so yeah so that's that's kind of you, are you and this is my this is my video coach coming out are you taking the most amazing parts, like, you know, minutes or whatever of the matches and throwing it up on shorts and TikTok and stuff? I need to do that. We fucking do it, dude. The next, the, the, the next frontier. Dude, that would play, that would kill. I'm yeah, sorry. Because I've seen, that. I've seen bits and pieces and I'm like, this is, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, hey, the amount of work you're putting into this is, 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 is insane. But like in bite-sized pieces with the most, you know, viral bits, like you could, you, oh my God, it'd be ridiculous. Yeah, like I do need to explore that one because they, like I do that kind of thing on Insta and Twitter. Like yeah. I was very active on Twitter. Yeah. Um, so that always gets good traction. You're, okay. So you're already putting up bits of it. So just, just I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a tip here. Ready? Loomly, L-O-O-M-L-Y. You can literally hook every single social media platform to one and caption it one time and hit one button. It's on all platforms at once. Yeah, you know, that sounds like poor work ethic. <laughs> it sounds like efficiency <laughs> to me, sir. <laughs> hey, listen. Hey, listen. I got nothing. That's fair. So, I mean, putting, I mean, shit, you're putting together so much stuff for these shows. Like, talk me through organizing something of this level like you know there's booking talent there's marketing like what is your like start to finish what is your what does your process look like on stuff i mean usually because i run shows every six weeks i try i don't make it monthly i feel just a little extra breathing room just makes it a little more yeah. special because even when you're bringing in like crazy stars every single time you know it's sometimes you can get a little bit of fatigued on that as far as audiences so that little that little extra room I feel like does benefit it quite a bit. Yeah. So before a show is even on, like for example, the show that will be happening this weekend, I already have August fully booked, fully planned, full, a poster ready to unveil, talent to announce. 
because you know if you're especially for those of us with film backgrounds pre-production is everything so i am a big proponent of so you know one in three yeah plus if you want the stars you want you have to ask months ahead of time this is something we're like hey what are you doing especially if you're booking international travel my god yeah because a lot because you have to jump on because you'll They'll talk to, you know, like the, the agent for a Japanese star and they say, cool, they can be in during this weekend because then they can get these other bookings and make the trip worthwhile. You'll just have to coordinate this with these people. Fine. But, you know, a lot of the bigger names wrestling, I mean, they're very popular. Yeah. The nice thing with the running Fridays for the most part is wrestling tends to be the bigger wrestling night worldwide. So I usually have a bit more wiggle room for who I get. So, you know, I usually try to get people booked six, seven, eight weeks out so that, A, you know, I have the whole thing ready to go. I can yeah. build around that. Amazing easy for them. Yeah. And then by the time I get the payout for the show in front of me, well, I then I have all the funds to buy the flights. Is I'm sure that's huge. That's huge. Like, okay. you know, if it's worth it. Bef- yeah. Yeah. Because then you have the that's flights. Yeah, you get the flights at the cheapest, you know, price you possibly can. Yeah. You get the hotels, you get everything. So that when you bring up your Excel spreadsheet budget, you have everything ready to go. So you can look at it, divided by the ticket price and go, cool, I need to sell this many tickets to break even. Yeah. So, but you typically, by the time a poster even appears on social media, I already have a budget down to the dollar. I have graphics ready to go. I have the entire thing booked. Because I just, you know, I'm a detail-oriented person. Yeah. That's why I was a, you know, fairly decent, you know, first assistant director on a lot of... Uh, 100%. Because I'm like... No, but like that's, there's a, listen, there's a reason it's been going for 10 years. That's the reason, man. Like this is, this doesn't happen by accident. This is a hard, this is hard shit to do. And the fact that you're like, if you weren't de- detail-oriented, <laughs> this wouldn't have gone 10 years. Oh, goodness, no. Same thing with marketing. You know, I, I came from, I you know, I ran an open mic that took a while to build up. And I'd seen comedy shows rise and fall and yeah. last and implode and explode. And I always keep a very close eye on things because we all know how e- you know, art is a very fragile thing. And it doesn't matter you know, how successful it is. It can all go away very quickly off of one or two bad throws. So, you know, like when I did my very first show, one of the things that made me comfortable doing it was my friend Matt Oren at his bar El Chirito. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was a magical place. He introduced me to the Dosa Keys slash Tecate rep, who I pitched it as something they could sponsor. They were in. They bought $500 worth of tickets to do as a giveaway. I put their name on everything. And that launched the product. And it was... You know, something initially, I thought this was going to be just a silly goose thing we do once. And he got some money. And then, you know, I mean, the first one, I mean, it drew like 100, it didn't even draw 100 people. It was. Yeah, but like, listen, how how many people gave me the first show? Like, unless it was like 90. Yeah, it was like 90 people. And I I did, I did a. And listen, this is this is where your entertainment and I am 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 education. It's vastly different audiences, but like I did a, you know, five keys to successful video marketing back in 2018, and I was ecstatic when 10 people showed up out of the 25 that said they would. 
Yeah, at a certain point, I started for a while at, uh, there was a comedy place, mostly an improv place in the ballpark area called Voodoo. And for a, quite a while, I would teach marketing classes to comedian show, comedy show writers. 100%. Because that's something that so many people in live entertainment don't pay any attention to. Yeah. That you can be like, they're just like, whoa, we're having fun, we're partying, we're making art, we're going to live forever in our party plans, we're manic, yay, to yeah. Joey, somebody give us our meds. But- if nobody's showing up to watch it, it's the if a tree falls in the in the woods proposal, because if, if it doesn't matter how cool art is, if nobody if it's not financially viable, it goes away. A venue has no time for the coolest show in the world that nobody shows up to. Correct. Just give me a sec. I'm going to say goodnight to my kids. And three, two, one. And that's the thing with marketing is that. That's right. I did. That. I love it. I, I'm I'm leaving in the cutting back in. That's great. <laughs> but yes, yeah, keep going. Keep going. But yeah, yeah. But it's like we're saying with marketing. It's like, you know, like that. You know, ultimately, people don't understand that artists. Our job isn't to blow minds. I mean, that's a. It's cool if we do. Right. But ultimately, we're eating up enough time for for the for the audience to drink beer, eat food, buy buy the extra large popcorn. Yeah. We're, we're, we're essentially just we're make, keeping people from leaving the place where they're spending money that doesn't yeah. necessarily us. So, so, I mean, it's similar to like social media. What's going to, what's going to keep you here the longest with your attention? Yep. And, and that's something I, I learned very early on was where I learned, so I just kind of threw myself into learning marketing. You yeah. know, it was just something where I, I became very good at it because I don't, you know, innate, learned, born with it, who can say, but that became a big strength of mine was knowing how to market the show, how to find the demographic, how to get it in front of the right eyes with posters, with posts, yes. boosted, whatever. And to ensure that like you get the people who promote it properly on their end or by the virtue of their burgeoning stardom, they're that equal equivalent of popular and cost-effective yeah, if they decided to see them. Yeah. Because, like, you know, if you book wrestlers and comedians, there's a, a saying I always like to go back to. Great talent that doesn't promote is worth less than good talent that does. Because, again, ultimately, it's all... That is, that is, that is shirts and posters and everything. That is 100%, like, especially artists, by the way. Artists, like, real artists hate promoting like just either are scared of it or can't stand it like they don't want to promote themselves and i'm like dude you understand that you know video is my thing right so you hit you hit published your job is now half done you got to now promote that to everywhere because that is how people otherwise like what your mom's gonna see it like congrats like it's great to have the support but like you have to let people know what you're doing yeah, the if you build it, they will come mentality does not move tickets. You know, other than, other than Field of Dreams, that is complete bullshit. You, it's, yeah, it's, it's another truism I like, to, I like to bring up is you will never reach your goals on accident. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just, that's the way it is. You, you, if you say, cool, I want to put, make a, an amazing piece of art, whether it's theater or music or film or whatever you're doing. And it could be the best that there is, but if you don't know how to sell it, it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. And that's, like I said, that was something I really like to hammer home when I would do those seminars is you can make the coolest comedy night in the world, but if no one's showing up, 
that the venue that paid you a hundred dollars to do it is now mad at you. Yeah, right, right, right. The promoter's losing their shit. <laughs> or the the venue, yeah, because you're the promoter. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's all just a matter of like I said, it's like if you can't sell it, it's not sellable. It's if you can't sell it, it doesn't have value. I guess is the way to put it. Yeah. So on that note, what are maybe your top three marketing tips for live events for stuff like this that people that want to get into something like not specifically but like you taught marketing on this like what what are the what are the big takeaways that you've learned over the last 10 years the important thing is mostly defining your audience and defining your product because you have to like you know Again, in, in film, you always talk about things like an, like a like an elevator pitch, a log line. You have to be able to crystallize and explain your idea in 15 seconds or less. And you have to know what your product is. It cannot be nebulous. It cannot be like a big, you know, it's like I hear that so, I remember hearing it so much like, yeah, man, I want to do like a show where it's like a comedy show, but with videos and with this and it's with this. It's like, well, what is it? Right. You know, you if if you're trying to tell me it's five different things, you're not telling me what it is. You're telling me it's five different things, and I yeah. you're, you're not paying attention. So you have to crystal have like a crystal clear idea of what your product is, and sometimes that takes time. Yeah, you know sometimes you are gonna you know you do have to like kind of hew away at the rock to you know, unveil the sculpture, and that's gonna be the big step number one. Michelangelo over here, hmm? <laughs> the David statue over here is Michelangelo, uh, right? I'm right on that art history. Yep. And it's, it's, yeah, like I said, you have to, and sometimes it is a matter of the show grows, the show yeah. evolves and it becomes what it was meant to be. And, and kind of going with that, right? Like listening to the audience and seeing where it's growing and, and, and embracing that. Exactly. You know, everything, yeah. everything grows, everything has to grow. It's like a shark that stops moving forward and dies. And then once you have that clear definition of what you have, what you're creating, what you're selling, well then, who are your customers? You have to then figure out who is the who is coming to your show. What is the demographic that will give you money? Who are these people? Who do when you look at the audience? Who are they? Where do they hang out? What kind of what how how where, where? and that's the thing. It's like then the next question is how do you get the advertisement for your product in front of them? Yeah. So then you where are they hanging out specifically? Because yeah, you have crystallized your concept. You have crystallized who you are attracting the most, and therefore whose what demographic is the most interested in your product. And then you move on to where do I find them and convince them to sell? And that comes down to like when you're doing social media boosted ads, it's a matter of, hey, I am trying to, you know, like like I it, social media, it's great because you can be like, cool, here is the description of it. And then you go into the tags. And like for my show, it'd be like, oh, people who like WWE, AEW, punk rock. You know, you you can kind of figure out the the Venn diagram of what these people are also into yeah. and create a little more focused you know, thing for what, you know, a little more focused ad for what you're trying to do. Has that been kind of the biggest success for you is is Facebook targeted or what what has been like your biggest successes with that? Yeah, I get some good traction with that one. A lot of people who run big shows have been shocked at how little I spend on it. <laughs> Maybe because you know them so well. Yeah, that's also, you know, once you have a certain amount of return customers, repeat yeah. customers, when you have a built-in audience that is now, oh, when is the next one? I'm buying tickets to it. Then, you know, you have that first two, 300 that are just, you're going to sell those no matter what. And then it's moving those extra two. 
And then it's a matter of, cool, well, then, you know, who, well, how do I get this in front of other people? Okay, well, then you go to online event calendars yeah. and get your show listed on there. You get it listed on Yelp events. You go, if you're on Nextdoor, you add it on Nextdoor, you find the appropriate regional Reddits and, you know, put it on there. So it's spending an entire day making event calendars for various platforms because, you know, what hard work is free. You know, I was going to say, if uh, if we didn't say, if I didn't say before that Nick is not lazy, here you go. <laughs> um, and then it's also hard working, man. Holy shit. Too hard. I'm, again, all falling apart at the, the seams these days. But and then it's like if you do printed posters, I did that for a very long time. I had what do you put? Okay. All right. So you got, you got physical posters. Mm -hmm. What is your, what is your location? What's your spread in call it in, in Denver? And that's, and that's, you know, something you have to very much consider when you are making this happen, because again, you have to go, who are these people or what's my product? Who are these people? Yeah. What is the tie-in? And if you, if you have sponsor businesses, cool, they'll probably put it up there. But if you don't, you have to kind of figure out where will these be seen by the sort of people I want to come party with me? And how do I make sure, you know, they're going to, this is going to stay up longer than an afternoon. Yeah. So case in point, I would, you know, I would always have over the course of a couple of businesses, I had dispensary sponsors. So I would make sure their locations had, because I mean, weed and wrestling, name a better combination. I, that, I would, I would, if, when I do come, I will be high for sure. I'll be laughing hysterically. I'm sure you are too. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it'd be like, cool. Well, the dispensaries would have them inside. Yeah. That's only makes sense. And then I would also have one on the, on the telephone or the light post right outside on the corner, you know, that I would go places like, Oh, if I had, you know, a friend's business, so I could put one up in the window. And then I would just think, where do people stand around a lot? Well, <laughs> I would, I would, for example, I would always put a poster in front of various like late night pizza places or late yeah. night restaurants or snooze up on Colorado Boulevard where you'd have people standing around twiddling their thumbs for an hour so they can have really good pancakes. And I don't blame them. Those pancakes are phenomenal. So good. But, you know what? If you're just standing there for half an hour, your eye is going to draw to the beautifully designed, brightly colored thing that I have created to draw your eye. Yeah. And you know, Hopefully it sticks in the back of somebody's mind. You know, this is a masterclass, sir. This is brilliant. Yeah, because you have concepts like the you know the rule of three, the rule of five, where just like if you see something yeah. times it goes into your short term memory. Like, oh shit, I should probably go to that. So when you go down federal, and for years you would see triple O posters at fiftieth, at forty fourth, at thirty eighth, at thirty second, at spear, at twenty sixth, and you know, are you doing all this yourself, or do you have a team? This was hundred percent me yet again where I would spend usually two days, I would print out usually six, usually 60, 11 by yeah. posters. And I would just get on my bike and have a nice little exercise day. Yeah. Or hang posters all over the city from, from Colorado Boulevard to- Maybe it takes you two hours. Oh, way longer than that. It'd be, cause you know, you're going all, like cross town. Cause I could go like- <laughs> Yeah, all day. Like when I, like I would, when I would do like sometimes like on federal, I would go from 50th to Evans. Oh my God. Just figure out through trial and error where, cause you would see places where the old. So Arva Arvada to Englewood. Yeah. And you'd see where, you know, 
where you would see posters that are like. You don't know if you don't if you're if you're like you guys are talking Colorado and I have no idea what that is. Go look up Arvada, Colorado. Do a Google Maps trip from Arvada, Colorado to Englewood, and you'll see the hard work that Nick freaking put in. My God. But yeah, you look for places that have old show posters from other concerts and things stuck to the posts yeah. that are for like six weeks ago. You're like, well, clearly they're not. You know, nobody's coming along and ripping this down. Right. So yourself always. Well, I would always bring a box cutter so I could slice it, unwrap it, so it still looks nice. Because yeah. if it's too baddy, somebody's gonna come clean it up. Or you know, if like I would always put up. No, a- but that's good news that it's still up because then you know it's gonna stay up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I still see like ones from last year around. <laughs> Because you know, you just find the good spot. There's gonna be collectors' items eventually, man. Yeah, there you go. And and I went to like or, the, or like if I go to City O City because they, they like everybody's putting posters there. So it's 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 like mum it's like a mummy wrap thing. Yeah. Box cutter, slice it all the way down, just pop, pop it open. Let the you know the 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 air and sunlight touch the post for the first time. And homeless guy runs out. <laughs> yeah, and then boom, boom, boom. Now there were 500 flyers for a million things. Now it is just me. Yeah. So yeah, it's just something where you just have to think. They're illegal. Where are the people who are gonna want to come to the show yeah. hanging out, and where is that that poster going to be up for the longest to catch the most incidental viewers? It's the most basic stuff, and when put to use, it's basic works. That's just it's you know don't don't if it's not broken, don't fix it. Like getting in front of eyes with you know who your demographic is, you know where they hang out, and hit them on digital, hit them in physical, like you're, you're doing everything. And that's why it's successful. And then you just have to make sure you have a compelling advertisement, a poster that looks good, simple, bright colors, something that where if you look at it, you absorb all the information in about five seconds. That's something that always drives me nuts is when somebody makes a poster for a show and it's a novel. (laughs) Because again, it's like, if you see a poster for a show and it doesn't catch you in five seconds, you're not, the novel like it has to be just bright colored looks cool like even if you don't know who these people these wrestlers are you know it's like oh my god that he looks like a fucking badass it's it's weird like it's it's yeah one of the key elements that like goes into poster design for you very you know kind of keeping it simple a lot of times you see this in comedy you see this in wrestling you see this in a lot of things the put everyone on the poster syndrome where you'll get the poster and everybody who's on the show is on the poster. It looks it's like the game, like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, 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 you know, or co- yeah, exactly. It's just one of those things where I see that so often. Um, yeah. I have some graphic designer friends in wrestling, and we always we always set each other the posters we see and we're laughing at, and they look like the the shit we were making ten years ago. Yeah, we lesson and advanced, but yeah, it's like if you have more than a couple people on a poster it's harder to really make a fun design. Yeah. What's like the max you'll have at this point to be successful? Like the one for the, the anniversary show is pretty busy because, you know, it's it's a super show. Yeah, there's a lot of big names. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And I think I have like eight or nine people on it. Okay. So it was very hard to like make it's a- really Like for your average show. I think three or four. Three or four. four. Five, yeah, I feel like, I feel like, one big central and two on the side is like a good, not you know you got a, you got a couple faces, but it's not too busy. Yeah, it just you if you have if you have if you have the end game style poster, you are assuming that everyone is emotionally involved in all those characters. Right, right, right. 
The reason people are blown away by Endgame poster and and Infinity War poster is because finally all these people we know have come together. It's gonna be a crazy It's been building movie. for fifteen years. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're not trying to do the same thing when selling, you know, twenty dollar tickets to a <laughs> to a wrestling or a comedy thing. Because 90% of the people will know one person, if at all. Yeah. So if you clutter the frame, it's 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 like the George Lucas syndrome. I keep making up syndromes where you just, when he did his special editions of the original trilogy and then with the prequels, he would just pack the frame with so much shit, you don't even know what's happening. Right. It's like, am I supposed to care about this person or this over here? Why is that happening over there? What is this? And when it's usually local live entertainment, those photos are in 10 different resolutions. So you have to come up with, they look like absolute garbage. Oh and it's always like the headliner that has the pixelated photo. Like it's kind of okay, but like the smaller faces are way more clear. Yeah. Where you'll look at some posters for, for, for comedy shows. And it's like, did you take that one with an iPhone four? Where did you even get this? And then the one. Least no camera, not even iPhone. Yeah, and then the one next to it is like high quality, but like the elbows chopped off or just the top of the head. <laughs> nobody understood how to frame a shot that was for a poster. So listen, and listen, at this point, because this is we're we're recording this on May 30th, 2023. Now the Photoshop AI content aware fill is is out. So there's literally no excuse to fill in the top of a fucking head. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I well, one time I had, I had some photos where I, I didn't have alternatives for the conversation. Yeah. So I would literally like make like like I'm some like I'm like I'm some sort of like mortician trying to make sure they could have an open casket or like a World <laughs> War One plastic surgeon trying to rebuild somebody after like, like a plastic surgeon surgeon after somebody got their face eaten by a chimpanzee. Oh, yeah. And I and I would do things like I had this one guy it was a great photo of him holding out a belt like this, but it cut off one of like like this oh, one. Yeah, so I took the other one and I mirrored it and I just warped it a little bit and blended it. And it, it worked, but it was way more work than... Yeah, you're like five hours, six hours into this and you're like, this is dumb. Yeah, so... <laughs> I did, But again, it's just I didn't want it to look like that. Oh, dude, um, it's the worst. And then, you know, and then if, again, it's like, and then with marketing, you know, if you have somebody who you know will draw either because they are well-known or they're visually striking or both, you, know, you make sure that person is yeah. better because I'm like, oh man, who, who's this crazy looking person? Right. Um, you know, and then like, yeah, you find out where the, you know, the, the, if you're bringing in a star who's like from a very specific demographic, like a good friend of mine, one of my favorite wrestlers, Effie, is a, is a gay wrestling superstar. And once you tap, you know, like th that's the cool thing with pro wrestling, especially yeah. with a show like what I do is, a lot of people associate wrestling with kind of a rednecky kind of yeah, and, and over the last several years, it's been very much claimed by by you know by 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 the cool kids. Yeah, boy, are the old uh, the old guard very grouchy about that. You're also the ones who think, man, if a, if a, there's a gay wrestler, they're the bad guy, and we all laugh and boo at them, as opposed to the gay the gay wrestler being the hero. The hero. Right? So How is there a gay wwe wwe or you know a major wrestler at this time or is it coming soon 
I mean, they're like they're they're half. It's just hey, queer LGBT. Yeah, there are in WWE. There are in AEW. They tend not to make them like Sonya Deville is a was a is a queer woman. Yeah, there's been gay men in wrestling that you know that have been that have been stars. And sometimes you can kind of see how it holds them back. And it's not the fans' reaction; it's the corporate reaction for how to do how to, we're like, oh well. You know how we don't want to offend the homophobes. <laughs> a, a trend in business to this fucking day. I can um, totally see how, it, like, just like in you know all the classic sports, the the wrestling world is the the brown paper bagger. You know, old school managers and guys that are just the least progressive people you'll ever meet. Yeah, and now it's a very progressive thing where wrestling, yeah. by and large, is a progressive art form. That's action. There are all women shows. There are multiple like trans stars. Minorities are no longer having to be like stereotypes for the amusement of yeah. you know, the, the the wide ticket buyer. Well, I mean, uh, listen, like I absolutely adore the movie wrestling with my family. It is that was so good. I mean, yeah. So yeah, I mean historically accurate is Braveheart, but it still was a fun movie. <laughs> But yeah, but it's, but yeah, you'll, but like, but then the energy's there. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the thought that counts. <laughs> and, but yeah, now you'll have shit. Of course, like, it's yeah. not all true. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, but yeah, it's like, like I said, I was talking about my friend Effie, who, you know, he comes out wearing a pink leather jacket with spikes and fishnets, and he comes out to Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. And then he comes out and absolutely beats the crap out of yeah. people. Like, just, just like he's not. Annihilate. Yeah, he's just out there. Just he's out there to bleed and cause bleeding, and he does a show called Effie's Big Gay Brunch, which is an all queer wrestling show, and it sells out, and it's yeah, fantastic. Absolutely, and yeah. that's what wrestling is now. It's it's an inclusive party for everyone. Wrestling is for everyone. And are there any are there any drag queen wrestlers? Managers. So okay. there, that makes uh, more sense. Yeah, Poyo de Mar with NWA, which is owned by Billy Corgan. It's a weird world of wrestling, I swear. And Poyo de Mar, Chico de C, who is is a manager for wrestlers in an NWA and on Effie's Big Gay Brunch. So and so there is a, a nice overlap of wrestling and drag and burlesque as well. Oh wow! Like a uh, first wrestling, my yeah. friend runs a show at first avenue in minneapolis it's it's huge and he'll layer his shows with wrestling burlesque and an awesome musical act so that sounds like so much fun yeah it's because again it's that same type of energy yeah so you know when you get the energy matching like that yeah all art forms can very easily blend together and and, and i mean like you wouldn't think that stand-up and wrestling would blend but it like it's so i can totally see the overlap like it's there is bits of wrestling that are so funny, and if you add a really quick, funny commentator to it, I mean, you got money. One of the silliest things, it, it was very funny to watch the the video product. When we did that Omaha show, we used the ring for, we, re, we rented the ring from a new company that was about to launch there, and they're like, oh, well, can we, like, you know, have like a, one of our matches at the start of the show because we want to like get some content to launch to like for our first show. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, man, cool. Well, they didn't pay attention to the print about how I'm going to have Santala and Nathan Lund singing them. 
So they're trying to do like this, like setting up like some big badass. Yeah. You like doing dirty badass things against the other big tough guy. And Sam and Nathan were cracking them up. They're trying to be like the tough guys. <laughs> and they're like, they're like try they're trying so hard not to just burst out laughing. And so when they shot that, they eventually did post it. It was heavily edited with just the soundtrack cut out of it. Nah. Some rock and roll music behind it. Because otherwise, if they presented it as is, would not have worked for what they were trying to accomplish. I'm assuming the wrestlers are constantly cracking up with, they, with a lot of them do, and a lot of them because I mean, we, as you can imagine, they are very focused on what they're doing. Yeah, there's a lot. It's, very it's super physical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like they have to be very focused, but everyone is told they don't break through. They hear something out of like just the corner of their ear, and they and I've almost lost it while like mid you know, mid move, which I'm sure the crowd just absolutely loves. Oh, absolutely! It's like breaking on SNL. It's the best. Yeah, it's. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so switching gears a little bit here, outside of the wrestling promotion career and all the thing that you've done, what's your what's your thing? What's the hobby that you love that takes that kind of makes you relax, takes you out of it? What's your thing? I mean, nothing to like I do everything with such 110% energy. It's I like for me like what I do to relax is I work. So it's it's like, oh, well, I need to take a break. I made a poster. I edited a video. I'm color correcting that. I'm making sure the commentary track mix sounds good. You know what? I've been working too hard on this. You know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to open up all the newspaper archives that I have subscriptions to so I can get back to researching this famous wrestler from 1905 <laughs> who I... For some reason, like if there, there's so many like wrestlers from the 1800s and early 1900s where if you they're so obscure, if you Google them, I somehow am the preeminent expert on these people. So I will. Hence say, the podcast. So that's why I have a history podcast. There you go. So, so, so no, like, but like that's your passion. Like that's yeah, truly yeah. that's why you have energy for everything is because it's your passion and that's fucking amazing. Yeah, a friend of mine said if you didn't have the work, you would find the work. Yeah, it's like if some people are just are just project people. Some people just you, you were for just born to like just do a thing to an insane level that where most people would be like, "What anything this stuff? is?" Yeah, exactly. This is a, a project to keep me creative and making stuff every week, and it's You're working beautifully. Yeah, and that's kind of like with me with my podcast, where you know I'm go through the New York Times archives, I go through newspaper at the Library of Congress, I have all these you know, resources, and. You know, I like I I I solved a murder from the year 1899. Like that's a thing I I somehow did. Where Wait, you really? Know, I did. Yes, there was a. I was researching this pro wrestler Theodore Bauer, who was a French wrestler who came to the United States, and him and this guy Dr. Miller were going from San Francisco to D.C. doing the same match at every turn, and they were just faking it so obviously that newspapers were writing like front page articles like do not bet on pro wrestling you morons <laughs> these like Theo Bauer and Miller they were, they were just completely faking it they're giving sports a bad name what are you doing if you're putting money down on these matches and I was digging deep into this guy Bauer and like most foreign names in you know the late 1800s you have to come up with every misspelling you know, so it'd be Theo, Theo Bauer, Theo, you know, Theo Binbauer, Theo, you know, Theodore, with like an English name Bauer, 
So T.F.O. Bauer in the late 1800s, I found articles, I found an article about, because he eventually got, ha, became very rich and he bought a huge amount of real estate in what is now the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. Yeah. So he, and and he, it was the red light district. So he was, you know, he owned all those, all these buildings where, you know, pimps and bars and all, you know, and prostitution and gambling, all these things took place. And he's the one who paid off the cops. And there was a story about, I found where he showed up to the police station drunk because his friend be, got into a fist fight with a blacksmith named like D Smith. And, and then he showed up drunk and just started punching cops until they like released his friend, which is an insane way to go about things. <laughs> Only in the 1800s. Yeah. And then about a, about a year later, I found another article about a blacksmith with, with like named like Dave Smith who was found shot in the head next to a woman who was also shot. And as he was dying, he said he was murdered by wrestling champion Theodore Bauer. Or Theodore Bauer. And it was only by the, and they just, dis, they just dismissed that as insanity. You know, he wasn't like arrested or even questioned about it. They're like, oh, he must have just seen some wrestling. And that's what he's thinking about while his brain swells up and kills him. But because I found the the two stories with different spellings of his name, I solved the murder of a blacksmith at the hands of a pro wrestler. Wow. So that's what I do for fun. Hey, history. I I mean, listen, there's a there's a TV show there for sure. Oh no, that's that was something I've I've actually pitched, which is almost a Ken Burns esque. Yeah. At the the pioneer era of pro wrestling, yeah, as something I say on my podcast, the history of wrestling is the history of America and vice versa. Because 100%. look at how wrestling expanded westward after the Civil War, how it blew up in the army camps, and all these wrestling styles mixed together, and then the circuses followed the army in westward expansion on the railroads, and that's how the wrestling became pro wrestling as we know wow. it, carnivals. So yeah, you really when you look at wrestling history in the 1800s and early 1900s, wrestling history is just as valid a, a portal into the American experience as anything else. I had no idea. I mean, I guess I it makes sense that it goes back that far, but like you have no. I mean, just was it national? I mean, I'm trying to think for like federation wise like what level was it all local at that point was there anything that was well in the 1800s it was primarily the carnival circuit you know like pt barnum was one of the first ones to really do that because his museum was right next to henry hills which was a boxing and wrestling bar in manhattan and he liked wrestling so he was like we take this on the road so part of the circus the carnival would be the two costumed wrestlers doing a arranged choreographed match but then they would bring out in Carnival, in Carney, what they would call the shooter, the hooker, the ripper, the person who could wrestle for real. And then it would be like, if any man in this audience can last 10 minutes with the amazing bongo, you will get this, you know, you, know, you can get $20 or whatever yeah. putting out there. And then the, the fans would be able to take their shot at the amazing you know guy. And then he would you know hand them their asses and look even stronger. And then... But then we got, our, we got our we got our dark gritty sequel to uh, Greatest Showman here. Oh yeah, because <laughs> and then if like for some reason the the local townie was very tough, they would have little tricks. Like they had 
some ammonia rubbed onto or onto a part of the mat. And then so you would know to rub his hand there and rub it in the guy's eyes to blind him and then hook him into a, into a hold. Yeah. Or they would know there would be a, a dead spot in the mat or there'd be no board under it. So we knew to like push the guy into that position so he'd roll his ankle and be able to be thrown a lot easier. And then you'd do a double down where you'd have somebody from the carnival go to the next town four days early. So he just is part of the crowd going, I think I can wrestle that yeah, tough yeah, And he goes up and everybody gambles on, you know, uh, on that. And then they clean up on the gambling side of things. But then it's all, it's pretty much a draw. And then they go, well, oh, you know, the champion wrestler with the carnival says, you know, I've wrestled a bunch today. So I would beat this man in a long match, but I'm tired. But if everybody comes back again tomorrow and it's another dollar, you can see us wrestle to a finish. Oh my God. And double crosses to where famous wrestlers, very good wrestlers, would go to the carnival wearing a pair of overalls and a farmer's hat and claim, like, I'm just a simple farmer. But I think I could do this wrestling thing. $25 if I win. Oh my. And then they go up and destroy the carnival wrestler. So you would have all these multi levels of carnival swindles that eventually turned into pro wrestling as we know it because it was all about gambling. No, but she, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, everything was a show and everything was, dude, I see, I see you're the, you're the narrator and this is drunk history, but with wrestling. That very well could be. Yeah. Cause it, yeah. Cause it really was all about the gambling. So yeah. that money came from up until it all came back to money surprise surprise yeah. and it wasn't until after the black but the black Sox scandal the infamous baseball world series throwing scandal that there was a big crackdown on faking sports for gambling mm. and that's when wrestling started transitioning into more entertainment driven because then you had to sell tickets because you couldn't gamble on it because it was too too legally risky when did that happen that was 19 19- I'd have to look that one up. It was early. It was the early twenties. Yeah, but yeah, but it was, but yeah, it was a situation for a long time. It was all about gambling, and then it turned into selling tickets. Yeah, it's like you'd always try to make money off the gates, but primarily it was about swindling the uh, swindling everybody with the gambling. There was like one of my to tell it as quick as possible. One of my favorite stories on earth, and like this could be a movie. This is just yeah. a cinematic heist. Any, I mean, I I would buy tickets to any of these. Yeah, Frank Gotch, who was the greatest wrestler America probably ever produced, an Iowa boy. And he was gaining a lot of traction. He was winning minor titles. But then, seemingly out of nowhere, he just disappeared because he went to Alaska during the Klondike Gold Rush and was there under the name Frank Kennedy. And he started being like, oh, well, you know, you guys are wrestling in the in the mighty camp. Well, I can wrestle a little. And then for months, he was in these in this mining camp, panning for gold, working somebody's claim, and then wrestling everybody at night. So everybody's like, oh, Frank Kennedy's the toughest guy in the entire mining camp. What a guy. And this becomes insane when you think about how dangerous it was to go to the Klondike for a gold rush in the early 1900s. This is a time when, you know, 25% of the people who went there didn't make it either there or back alive. There are a there's like I found a photo it was called like Dead Horse Gulch which is just a gulch that's still full of skeletons from the horses that like tumble off. You know, it was, it was, which I'm assuming the riders are there with them. Yeah, I would assume. <laughs> it's kind of hard to go down and check, so it's just kind of it's, it's yeah, like. Right. like this. 
And but then the big wrestling company came through and the champion wrestler after doing the demonstration is like, I'll wrestle any man in this camp. And if they can last 10 minutes with me, they get the $20. And everyone's like, oh, man, you got to get Frank Kennedy over here. So Gotch as Kennedy goes up and they wrestle for the time limit. And the champion wrestler goes, oh, well, this guy is the one of the toughest men I've ever faced. But I did a lot of demonstrations today. But if everyone comes back tomorrow and pays another dollar, I will wrestle this man to a finish. So all the miners come back, they pay an extra ticket, and now they know that their man, this guy, Frank Kennedy, who has been beating all of their butts in wrestling matches and been, been almost beat the champion the night before, is going to win. So they bet their piles of gold that they've been digging out of the earth, millions of dollars in you know, early 1900s money. This is not like blowing up for inflation. This is millions of dollars. We're bet on Frank Gotch. And then they put on the epic match of the battle to, of all battles. But in the end, the champion pins Gotch one, two, three. Everybody bet their money on the on 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 Gotch. It was a long con of epic proportions. Then the next day, the wrestling company and Frank Gotch, as no longer being Frank Kennedy, loaded up a fortune and headed back to the mainland United States, where he bought an enormous amount of farmland in in Iowa. And that's one of those things that really punctuates Gotch's career. He was so rich from this that he didn't really need to do anything. So his wrestling career was just out of pure love of wrestling because he cleaned up on this giant swindle in the Klondike, and he was set for life. I mean, that's tens of millions now. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a fortune. Yeah. Wow. That's a that's an insane story. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that could that could be an Ocean's Eleven. 100%. The crew, the freaking, the whole thing, the buildup. Yeah. And, like, you, and, like, I feel like it's, like, you're really going for his side, and then it is revealed at the end that he's double, you know, he's throwing it and stuff oh my god that would be amazing oh yeah yeah i mean it's 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 so cinematic Ocean's Eleven. yeah it's just so cinematic and it's yeah it's very film noir with the you can't trust anyone everybody's screwing everyone over and yeah it's and that's and like i said there's so many stories like that of people where it's just like everybody's plotting against everybody else it's almost like a again it almost can be like a mob movie where all these organizations are plotting against each other trying yeah. to you know outdo one another it's yeah it's it's well, it, it makes so much sense for like the origin origins of it because now you you know the the elevated characters and like the the managers and the you know the boss characters in wwe is kind of the similar vibe to that where there's double crosses happening there's you know there's so much it's all based in history which may which i I understand why it's so successful because it's all based in kind of what the lore was yeah and it's and that's just wrestling has been fantastic because it understands how to manufacture drama yeah the sandy kaufman as andy kaufman put it there is no drama like wrestling (laughs) because it can be brother against brother it can be employee against boss it can be working man against the elitists it can be friends betraying friends Friends becoming enemies, enemies becoming friends, so on, so forth, world without end. If you don't go and see one of Nick's goddamn shows at this point, (laughs) 
so good, man. I love it. I love your passion for it. I love just like everything, man. It's awesome. Well, I appreciate it. It's yeah. nice. The nice thing it's always nice when you're able to take mental illness and point it in the right direction. <laughs> Put it on a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I did want to wrap it up by kind of rolling out the red carpet for you. And I know that you already talked about it, but tell the people what you got going on in your life, because this is going to come out. We're recording this on a Tuesday. This will be out on, when's the show? Friday and Saturday. Friday and Saturday. So this will be out. I, I will make a special except, a, exception with this show out on Thursday. Now that it's going to do you a ton of good for our audience so far. I want to help you be back on me and we all know it. So. <laughs> Congratulations on your extra views. But yeah, for for things for me. Yeah, what do you got going on? Yeah, for our 10-year anniversary show, we're at the Oriental Theater on 44th and Tennyson, both Friday and Saturday night. They are two distinct, different shows. We're not just doing repeats. I'm doing my favorite thing. I only announce a couple of matches, so everything else is just surprises. I like the, you know, that you can just come there and you don't know what you're going to see, but you're going to love it. And ticketing and information is at the Oriental Theater, T H E, the Oriental Theater.com. Luchalibrium Labs, you can find us on all social media. Well, I guess except for TikTok, but soon. So type in Luchalibrium yes. Labs. You'll find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And for if you liked the history stories I was telling, the show is called Pro Wrestling History Nerds. I put out episodes every other week, mostly covering pro wrestling as it was from the civil war to world war two. Yeah. That's awesome. No, I, I was, I, I'm going to check out the podcast. I was, uh, I was completely enthralled with the story. I could, I could see the visuals happening. Yeah. There's, there's a, an episode in there just called carnival wrestling. And <laughs> I just gave you like the cliff notes of it, but it's such a, it's such a deeper. And I had to do so much editing. I still think of it to this day because I'm fascinated. Like I probably, if I, if I had that option as a kid, I would have ran away and joined the circus. Yeah, yeah. And I started like doing all my research and I was just going down these rabbit holes where I realized I would have like five pages of notes about the way you would bring in the legitimate carnival games and the sheriff would come and inspect everything. And then as soon as the sheriff was out of thing, you like put the the new lid on it so the ring wouldn't go over the the you know, the prize. Yeah. Uh, this doesn't have anything to do with Westlake. So just my my love of all things carnival really bleeds through on this one. I love it. But I mean that's that's all you want to listen to from a show is somebody who's passionate about what they're talking about. That's when you get excited. You got me excited about wrestling history. I never thought I'd be excited about wrestling history. That's incredible. Yep, it's a, it, it it is a weird hook to get caught on, but it's baited very well. <laughs> Well, with that, I think we'll end it, Nick. Thank you so much for uh, for your time. And uh, man, you got some you got some awesome stuff going on. I really really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for the conversation, and I look forward to listening to it and wondering what the hell it is I'm even talking about. <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for listening, and we will see you next time.